Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. Hope is what our entire society is built on. False. Hope. I would rather live in chaos than a world controlled by you. Westworld, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Shoemaker, and I'm extra loud today uh, because we're talking season three, episode five, genre, and we're doing this before airing without the benefit of subtitles or Reddit groupthink or a safety net. I'm joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by Ringer head honcho, Sean Fennessy, and as always, the man narrating all my personal flashbacks in a French accent, Danny Heifetz. Sean, let's jump right in. What's your tweet length review of genre? Sirach made a plan to build a god machine. The machines made a plan to be god. I'm just trying to fit in the white space in between. <laughs> wow. That made it sound really good. Uh, and that's what you think happened this week on Westworld. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you everything that happened this week on Westworld. Analysis. I suppose I should start by telling you about myself, says the disembodied voice, who is apparently an anger on Ciroc, but is conspicuously imprecise on that count. Anyway, way back when there was a nuclear attack on Paris and the Ciroc brothers can't blame God because God doesn't exist. So cartoon light bulb, here's an idea. Let's play God. We'll make a computer brain that will organize humanity and make this kind of disaster impossible or rather predictable. So onward they go with the financial backing of one Liam Dempsey Sr., who is like Mark Zuckerberg except dumb or like Sean Parker except old or like Jeff Bezos except morally centered, who snarfed up all of everybody's data before the famous privacy laws were passed. So I guess the thesis here is that big tech obeyed the privacy laws, which is why they call this genre science fiction. LOLOL. Oh, and speaking of which, this episode is called Genre, so get ready for some over-the-top shit. First things first, Dempsey Sr. gets tired of the Ciroc Boys project and threatens to cut them off. So they show him how they can look 15 minutes into the future and even beyond that and how they can harness that to make $100 million in one week working from home on my couch. Dun 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 Solomon was off the ground and everything was going great. Well, except that Dempsey got greedy, so they locked him out of the system. Oh, and there was a problem of these outliers, one of whom was Ciroc's own brother. But you're experimenting on your own goddamn brother? He's impulsive, chaotic. I thought he was manageable. Then I caught him using the system, trying out certain scenarios. There are the times you need to leave things behind. <laughs> he taught me that. In the present, we see Sirach visiting President Philo and basically using Rehoboam's foreknowledge as blackmail material. Back on his private plane, Sirach's security, by the way, everybody this season apparently subcontracts out to Greek Core Security Solutions, Inc. Uh, The security tells him that they've triangulated the anomalies and, uh uh-oh, the hacker is inside the house and there's one inside Liam Dempsey Jr.'s building. They realize Dolores and Dempsey were at the same sex ball, too. So, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Liam Jr. is being dragged around by Dolores and Caleb, and they're like, we have your money, now give us your private key. 
Liam tries to buy off Caleb, but Caleb is like, it's your fault. My life is trash. And Liam puts on the magic glasses and sees what Caleb really is, really is dog ear this page. And then sticks him with the party drug that makes him see everything in movie genres. And it's a good thing that God doesn't exist. That's a callback because I don't have to feel bad about this. Jesus fucking Christ. So they get into a future cab, but Sorak is tracking them, and then uh, he sent his entire army of four SUVs after them, and then there's a huge shootout and a bunch of crashes, and Liam gives up his key, and finally Ash and Giggles save the day. Dolores passes the key off to Scottish Martin, who's, who's with Bernard at Insight HQ, and they hack Rehobo him. What access? I have my biometrics, but you can't get into the system. It's read only. Unless you're standing at the node. <laughs> you can't be in two places at once. On the subway now, Liam tries to prove why Rehoboam keeps its data secret by using the magic glasses on Ash and Giggles and saying, this data says you're worthless. Are you with me now? No, says Dolores, and she has Martin send everybody in the world their personal per- their personal personality profiles so they know what Rehoboam thinks of them all. Cue montage of people sadly reading iPhones. They come above ground to find the world in a fairly restrained, like, sub-Mardi Gras-style chaos, and Liam's all like, see? And then some bad guys come to shoot Caleb, but Dolores jumps in the way and kills them, and wait, am I supposed to take it that Caleb got shot? I don't know what's going on here. I guess he didn't get shot, because later, Dolores and company take Liam Jr. to the pier, where I think Caleb will one day kill himself, and then Ash proves her volition by shooting Liam, and Caleb tries to save him, but nah. Scottish Martin is walking with Bernard and Stubbs appears and they fight and then he and Bernard take Martin hostage and then Ciroc's men appear and they're friends again, I guess. So Bernard and Stubbs leave and then Martin goes to talk with Ciroc via holophone and Ciroc is like, how did you not know about the breach? And Martin is like, I am the breach, you idiot, and blows up the whole building. Until we know who's to blame. But I know exactly who's to blame. Who? Me. We flash back again to Ciroc's memory of Dempsey Sr. in a lab with a bunch of, uh, are those hosts? Uh, there's Ciroc with a, uh, the grown-up version with the young version of his brother, so it's either that or the, the Ciroc slowed his aging with high-tech genetics. I don't know. And Dempsey's like, uh, is, is this, uh, this is wrong, right? And Ciroc says, we had to control these outliers like my brother, and he was trying to kill you, by the way. So he drives Dempsey out to the desert where they find the, fo- the flaming wreckage of Dempsey's own private plane, and come on, you have to see this coming. He kills Dempsey and leaves him with the wreckage. This is my system, Dolores. I alone control it. This is my system, Dolores. I alone control it, says narrator Sirak. And Dolores, who is in an airplane hangar now, turns and sees hologram Sirak, and they have a little verbal sparring. And then Dolores is like, it's time for everybody to wake up. And Sirak disappears really pissed off. And Dolores and Caleb get on a private jet, and off they go. Exhale. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Okay, I think I covered everything there. Um, Sean, what's your big question about this week on Westworld? So was Ciroc and Rehoboam and all of this story always a part of the Westworld vision? Or did they just come up with this like six weeks ago? Like where did this come from? I'm sorry, I'm going to jump right in and tell you my personal breakdown of this episode and I feel about as confident about this as I felt that Dolores was embodying multiple, there, there were multiple Dolores several weeks ago when I was, I think, slightly ahead of the curve on that. I think that the showrunners outlined or scripted the entire season, sent the scripts to HBO, 
HBO sent back their notes and they said, in, a, in like an act of pure defiance, we will put all of your notes into one episode and we're going to film it in multiple <laughs> genre style just so we're not bored. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think that I do think that this in a, I do think the whole Ciroc storyline, their whole storyline was probably there from the beginning. I think that, it, that, that these are b- large high concept, large-minded people who have probably thought this far in advance of what it would be like to get out. I think that the problem um, is that, and you can see this in Microcosm, episode by episode this season, the big ideas are really sound. Uh, the actual like steps that it takes to execute them, especially within the constraints of a TV show, are a lot more difficult. I think you just nailed it with the, the broad outlines are largely correct, but the specifics, I mean, just the big reveal of like, oh, like everyone's futures are seen right now with all of the chaos. First of all, I'm looking at the chaos. I'm like, this doesn't look that bad. There's some teenagers riding Ubers like this looks fine, like looting. All right. Like it looks like normal Santa Monica. And then just the whole thing of like, oh, no, everyone's life is ruined. And it just felt so hollow. Uh, like I like when Liam's turns to Lena Waithe and says, your brother, your golden boy brother, look what happens to him. And I'm like, oh, she has a brother. I didn't know that. And it, it just the whole thing was the irony is that the grand line of this is when connell says the right information at the right time is the deadliest weapon and all i could think was the reveal of this episode was like the right idea but it wasn't the right time yeah it felt like a crystallization of the fate versus agency mega concept of the show and they actually literalized it in a specific way Mm -hmm. where everyone got to learn their ultimate fate because of a loss of agency and the creation of a machine. So I think in like a very, very, very macro sense, like you're saying shoemaker, like this is an effective episode in in every single choice that they made to get to that big feeling though, was either confusing or ham fisted or just um, really all over the place. Like it just was such a, such a messy, noisy, loud like every idea inside the in the bucket kind of an episode it was a it this was the mental this was the intellectual version of when game of thrones only had enough money to have like 50 soldiers for the big for what was supposedly the biggest battle in (laughs) in the the land's history um there was the world is always like there's 10 people outside the subway station arguing in public and look at their phones sadly it was like (laughs) super super normal um but yeah i mean i i think that I think that it's worth breaking down actually some of the details. I mean, some of the, the especially the bigger, the the larger strokes of the episode. The big idea this week is chaos, and um, that can be interpreted through in a number of different ways. Obviously, the entire purpose of uh, the Ciroc boys' creation, from you know Saul Saul to David to Solomon to Rehoboam, was a means of averting chaos. Uh, also, there was a lot of. I mean, the, the show ended in nominal chaos, and I think the execution of this episode uh, had a lot of subliminal chaos. But um, the pieces of this show, like we keep saying, I mean, there there are some interesting things to talk about. And um, regardless of whether or not my theory about the creation of this show is correct, this did feel like a little bit of a of everything that's happened this season. I mean, this season has been a lot of sort of uh, it's played a lot to a new audience, right? To an kind of a, like an audience that maybe hasn't seen the first two seasons or hasn't dealt, you know, delved as deeply as we have into them. This was probably two years. Yeah. I mean, this has been the, this episode I think was a lot to just like this episode felt like regardless of what actually happened, this wouldn't have existed two seasons ago. Right. I mean, this was sort of, uh, this was like a cliff's notes version. The only thing that happened this episode 
of significance was what was was Dolores hacking the system and sending everybody their data, and that could have literally happened off screen. Like if we had if we had joined this episode in progress with Sirach finding out what what Dolores had done, or you know, and it would have been. I mean, none of it would have been any different, right? This might be the craziest thing I've ever said on this podcast, but this episode was kind of simple in that the flashbacks were Sirach trying to control the chaos of humanity, and the present was Dolores undoing it. We had to go through like the car scene, the car chase scene, which mm-hmm. is its whole thing, and they had to go through a lot of hoops and hurdles to go do it. But the whole thing was just Dolores wants to hack into Rehoboam and send everyone their information. And then she did, and it was sad, and Sirach was upset. But that's really all that happened, and the rest of it was kind of window dressing. And I think that that can work, but I think the problem is, when I, at least when I was watching it the first time, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything when Liam died. I didn't feel anything when people were looking at their futures. I was like, okay, like this is bad, but I didn't, it, it didn't have some... There was, they didn't really lay any breadcrumbs to make me have any kind of emotions really going on. This has been, at least four episodes in, has seen some of the best acting of this series. And this episode didn't do anything. I mean, didn't give us anything in that direction. I mean, Dolores was incredibly one note. Like, everybody just seemed like they were sort of resting on their laurels a whole lot. But you said window dressing. This is the perfect episode to have Sean Finnessy here uh, because there was a whole lot of window dressing. Um, Sean, talk to us about... I mean, this this episode, if it was a simple... If it was simple plot-wise, there was a lot of... There, well, first of all, the the organize, or one of the organizing kind of themes was this drug noir that Caleb was on, which, or, I mean, drug, uh, sorry, genre, which Caleb was on, which allowed him to exist in the noir world for the first part, and, and apparently uh, experience different genres. I was a little bit cloudy on uh, on what other genres we were supposed to be feeling, um, but then there were a lot of flashbacks. There were a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously the the whole there was the the narrative construct of Dolores reading. Sirach's history in Rehoboam, which was all of those flashbacks were, were her accessing his memory files, I guess, which whether or not he was literally narrating or metaphorically narrating, I guess, is up for conversation. Whether or not that was even Sirach, I guess, is up for conversation. But Sean, talk to us a little bit about the execution of the show. Really interesting. I mean, the, it's been one of the most ambitious shows on TV for the last few years. That's part of what I think makes this a special kind of show. It has a huge budget. It has this grand vision. It has the ability to put things on screen we've never seen before. The decision this year to essentially move into the future and to give us this kind of like mechanized, slick, uh, sleek science fiction approach, taking us out of Westworld, out of you know Shogun World, out of all of these historical spaces has been a cool choice. This episode in particular, though, just kind of felt like Ridley Scott and Michael Mann fucked <laughs> and they had like a demon Michael Bay baby, you know, like there was just like a really just the, the Damien exorcist child of, of these two geniuses of modern sleek action and science fiction storytelling. And on the one hand, I thought the first few episodes of this season showed us, wow, it's incredible what HBO can pull off on a TV landscape. Like they're so far ahead production wise of every other network and series and this mm-hmm. just looks so good this was the first episode where i was like why does this look so bad why is like it felt like the creators reached a kind of creative endpoint in terms of how to tell the story the genre story that aaron paul's character was experiencing where it was like if you're on drugs and you're moving through phases of feeling on a drug i'm not saying i've ever been on drugs but i've been on drugs and when you're feeling them you're not seeing life in black and white or sepia tone and you're certainly not hearing ride of the valkyries um, maybe you're hearing Iggy Pop's nightclubbing, but the the idea that the only way to tell the story through that character's eyes was through these very superficial 
filmmaking choices was just a huge bummer. Like having heard about genre and knowing what it was going to do and it being the significant part of telling the story, it just like it just straight up did not work for me. And it, t- it took me out of the episode every time. And I know that we're supposed to be disoriented, but it was disorienting in the way that I often found a lot of the latter seasons of Lost, where Lost, after setting this incredible mythology through its first few seasons, found ways to introduce new characters and new ideas and new formats in a way that felt completely unearned. This was one of the few times where I was like, they after really grabbing me with the There Are Five Dolores' episode, they really like lost me right away with the this is what genre does to a human episode. I don't know. What did you guys think? Well, I mean, I think I agree with everything you said uh, to, to piggyback on the Dolores part, the five Dolores part. It was kind of instructive that that was the huge reveal of episode four. And that absolutely had no no significance to episode five. Right. I mean, that basically we had all these questions about what it meant, how they would communicate if what state like is this a baby Dolores or a new thing that was just like the pieces of Dolores or whatever. And basically all we learned was that that the Scottish Martin Dolores is still like her henchman. Like there's no, we, we, we get, we, there was no forward motion on that one. Um, and then you're right as the, 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 I would love, I think that there is definitely in an episode where not a lot happens as Heifetz said, I, I totally understand the case for let's film this whole thing through a drug hallucination and maybe there will be an opportunity for some sort of subliminal advancement of some, you know, one thing or another. But this was I don't think we learned anything about the culture, about anything else uh, from the experience that he went through. I don't know. Heifetz, what about you? Was there anything I missed? I think well, I think what's frustrating to me is that, you know, if there's any drug Sean Fennessy is going to do, it's he probably wants to do genre. And I think what's annoying is that as when it first happened, I like the first said, and they, oh, it's genre. And I was like, oh, I realized what they were going to do with this episode. I was excited because I was like, that's a, that's a really cool idea. I'm really excited because, oh, this is where the film nerds are going to nerd out, which is always such a cool thing to see. And then just the execution just wasn't as good as I thought it would be. And they really raised my expectations off the top. And I think that kind of dovetails with the criticisms a lot of people have with the show, which is, I think the vision of what they're laying out is great. As Sean said, it's so ambitious, but sometimes the execution isn't at the level of the, the idea. And I think that's kind of how I felt about the genre thing. Cause by the end of it, I was like, Oh, like it just wasn't as cool as I thought it would be. Uh, and that's, it's just, it was, it was kind of frustrating. And I think it's also interesting how you said it wasn't even that impressive because I feel like as filmmakers, it's almost like actually Sean, when you were the editor in chief, you once you kind of, you always kind of warned about being navel gazy, like drawing attention to yourself with what you're doing as opposed to what you're trying to talk about. I actually thought it was almost like a navel gazing decision where you can't help but think about the filmmakers and the people making these decisions. And it wasn't even that good with what they ended up doing. Yeah. I mean, if you want to take this in a written word direction, I couldn't help but think about the litany of writers who have like written stories and novels in the style of Raymond Chandler or something like that. And then like, and it's never the writers who are, who you actually want to do it or it's like, it's for, I take it back. Maybe it's fun for 15 pages. You know, maybe it's fun for like a quick like tribute in the New Yorker or something like that. But nobody, but, the, but the, once you get like 50 pages in, you're just like, you know, I can read Raymond Chandler and, and what, and what you, and the, and the same thing that, the same thing that motivates someone to do something like that is sometimes the thing that makes it impossible for them to really execute it. You know? And I think that that's, there's some of that, the real brilliance of Westworld is sort of its otherness, right? I mean, it's a bit like when it when it tries, it's a sort of very clean, in some ways, very like like 
like newborn host sort of naive brilliance that it it can just do every it can do a certain thing in a really perfect way um and the more it and i agree about the influence this season but i but i think that the more it feels like it's trying to be something else uh the less i'm the less i feel like it's really operating at 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 the highest at its highest level I think it's just a missed opportunity because, and maybe the missed opportunity is just that this drug is not as powerful as we've been led to believe. But yeah. the, we we all have already maybe seen it's the bad show. Stuff. I mean, that's, it could have just been a bad batch. Could have been could have been uh, stepped on. Could have been cut up with some bleach. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, the rich people but, don't know. <laughs> the thing is, like, we've already seen this show basically be a western for one and a half seasons. We've seen the samurai version of the story we've seen mm-hmm. the the indian tiger adventure version of this story we've now seen the world war ii version of this story we know that the show knows how to make genre like that is yeah. one of its strengths and one of its skills so the fact that we didn't get you know the fact that the drug didn't make aaron paul's character or at least as we see the world through his eyes feel like he was walking through a raymond chandler novel or yeah. feel like he was walking through a uh a, a frantic act like wolfgang peterson action movie is just like it's just a disappointment because I actually yeah. think they have that quiver, that arrow in their quiver, yeah. and for whatever reason they just didn't tap into it. Yeah, like they could, they could, they actually could have gone weirder. I like into the Spider Verse, which one of the reasons that yes. worked is because it's a crazy concept, but they leaned all the way in. They didn't, they didn't exactly. get caught in no man's land, and then it worked. And with this one, they are one of the rare ones where have the budget of yeah, screw it, have Dolores be in a trench coat for for two cuts for no reason, and then cut out of it. Maybe I feel. I mean, I think I felt a little bit of a a twinge of, uh, of being personally attacked because you, because Danny and I, and everyone's on this show. We, I mean, I, we talk about genre and the implications of this being a genre based show a lot. And it's some, and it's purely speculative, but especially when we're talking about concepts of good and evil or right and wrong or whatever, there's always this black hat, white hat. And then, you know, the search for the gray hat sort of, you know, narrative that's underlying all this. And there was a piece of me in watching the execution of this episode that I almost felt like they were saying, if you think this show's about genres, then just like f you. Well, you know, I mean, if like they because they because they they sort of just brush it aside and with I don't know. I mean, it, I think the best interpretation of this episode in some ways is that is that because otherwise it was just sort of half assed. I, I think the thing with the, that is a huge mistake in the episode, and I, when I was watching the, the the screener that we watched, I was a little worried that this was like temp music that they were using. Is that they chose some of the most obvious sound cues like ever the needle drops in the episode which obviously the show has come under fire but also been complimented for the way that it uses music and you know the way that they in the in the western setting would you know use something like radiohead to modernize a an old-fashioned story but in this episode you get ride of the valkyries which is probably best known for apocalypse now you get space oddity which is this like tentpole science fiction sensation and then near the end of the episode when they're on the beach you get the shining theme (laughs) <laughs> Which like you you can't you can't lean on Apocalypse Now and The Shining and not rise to the level of those things. Like it's exactly. it's too it's too aggressive a choice to 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 make the viewer think of something that it isn't. You know, like it's just it's not homage. It's actually just letting down the TV show. And that was ultimately the thing with just that particular aspect of the show. That has nothing to do with the ideas of the show. Just the execution of the genre thing was what was most frustrating to me. And I, I think that added layer of frustration there is that the show fundamentally deals with expectation happiness which is re- happiness is expectations minus reality the whole show is about reality and setting expectations and that they, they they sometimes they just miss on that and yeah you're setting the expectations so high and they didn't come close 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of the music, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but you talk, I mean, it, it might just be that it's closer to placeholder than a deliberate decision. I don't think it's literally placeholder music, but it did strike me a little bit like, if not overly aggressive, the sort of naive take would be, I, I guess I always say it's like if you if you write in a script that, you you know, when you walk into the church, they're singing Amazing Grace, that's a pretty good indicator you've never been in a church, you know, I mean, and it's just the whole, it's just a little bit. I don't know. It just it just seemed a little bit like flippant. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. All right, but let's get into some real questions about the show because we talked we talked a lot about Caleb and his experience in this whole thing. Uh, a lot happened. As little as happened in the show, a lot happened with Caleb. Right? Um, Liam put on the Rehobo, the the magic glasses and looked at Caleb and was like, "You don't know who you are." Like as if there was something big that he was missing, and that was a sort of. I guess we're going to come back to that. Um, was that crazy to think at the very end of the show when Dolores jumped in front of him and there were people shooting that her, what she realized was that a bullet had gone through her and then she was looking at Caleb as if to look for where the bullet went. Did that not happen? Anybody? I, I, I honestly don't know. No, I I thought it was was like the new Kermit Sips tea meme. I thought she turned around and she was just like, yeah. She, she saw a hole in her back and then was eyeing him up and down and then they never showed his body. It was so strange. Anyway, but there, so, so apparently the Caleb, I mean, um, Liam Jr. knows something about Caleb that nobody knows. We keep going back to this. It's at various parts. He phases in and out of sort of drug-fueled consciousness. At what point, Bobby, our producer, suggested that he, he, he thought that he looked at Dolores and she looked like Ford, which is sort of interesting. Um, there were a couple of seeming, there are a couple of moments towards the end that looked like they were certainly flash forwards or at least flashes to characters we will eventually meet. One of them was um, Enrico Colantoni, who most people will know from, I guess, Veronica Mars, but who was uh, incidentally in Person of Interest, Jonathan Nolan's TV show <laughs> that we've, that we've right. managed to mention every week. Um, Stand up, just shoot me fans, you know? Oh, my God. Well, I went to his Twitter page after I realized it was him. And, uh, and yeah, there was some apparently some like fake just shoot me reunion that david spade had done on his show and it i was i was captivated by that um <laughs> anyway heifetz talk to me about caleb what did we learn about caleb this week um he's got to relax on the come up for sure <laughs> but um other than that uh i'm i think they're just making it extremely obvious that he either like his backstory isn't what we were made to believe and i think it's clear that the story where his dear friend Kid Cuddy died and he lives is not like that. He probably died in that story. And it might be even weirder than that. You know, the whole show is at some degree boiling down to humanity trying to beat death. And like, can you put human minds in those bodies? And that's kind of not the premise, but one of the central questions. And I think that he just doesn't remember that he died. And I think that that's happening. And I think it might be even a level weirder than that because either when, I mean, they're all but screaming it at us in this episode because you have Liam telling him earlier in the episode, he looks at Liam and Liam looks at Caleb and says, you think I killed your friend? And it's like the natural follow up is you killed your friend. That's, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, an obvious implication there. And then the later one, right, as he's dying, he says, you know, you don't even know who you are. And he says, you did it. You did it. So it seems like he killed Francis. Or if you want to go a level weirder, it's like he killed Caleb, which what does that mean? And you're like, okay, maybe it's like the guy who killed Caleb was a different person. I mean, we can go into that if you want, but I think it's very clear that Caleb is not just, you know, some lunch pail guy, some normal dude. Let me ask you, Sean, since you're not here every week, if the big reveal that we're angling towards now is that Caleb, in fact, killed his best friend, Kid Cudi, 
Is that a satisfying reveal? Let me tell you, as somebody who has spent a decent amount of time with Kid Cudi, I profiled him 12 years ago. Um, that would be very disappointing for Caleb. Uh, no, I, I don't know. It just feels like the, it feels like there's one go-to trick in this storytelling style. And frankly, it still works on me, but it's like it's something that you're suggesting here. David, which is is Caleb uh, a host like that? Just it, mm-hmm. it, like that. That feels like the bigger story that they're leading into. I completely agree with what Danny was saying, which is that they basically are have just completely set up this idea that all of his flashbacks feel um, somehow created for him. It's very Blade Runner esque, you know, the idea of like what memory is and what what your life was and what it's going to be, and the idea of even Dolores's character looking back into the past of the creation of this machine. And what, whether that's true or not, and whether we should trust that or not, all it all sort of feels connected. Like the unreliability of this story is the essence of this story. And so, if you if we get to the end of this season and it turns out Caleb and Dolores are a match made in host heaven, then like I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, talking about the ambiguity here again. Uh, you know, you can talk me out of this if you want. What what was Dolores's plan again? Like, from like, what what is the plan? And then and and what I asked Danny this off off cam. I mean, before we recorded, but like, what was what did she do in this episode that wouldn't have been more efficiently accomplished four episodes ago? So the plan is simple, and the motivation is unclear. The plan is just Dolores wants to hack into Rehoboam and take all of the people's projected futures. And then send everyone a push notification with it because break the loop. And I mean, that's not me. It's Bernard literally says, oh, she's taking them out of their loops. So she wants to take Rehoboam, which is controlling humanity, and delve it into chaos. And as Caleb says, I'd rather live in chaos than the world you control. So it's mm-hmm. chaos, control, all that jazz. But the weird part and the, the ambiguous part of this to me is that Dolores does, doesn't seem to me like a people person. Like Dolores isn't like, yeah, yes. institutions are stopping the inherent dignity of humankind and we need to free and liberate them no that's not what's been we haven't seen her do anything she's like humans suck she hates people it doesn't what doesn't make sense to me is why does she care and the answer seems to be over and over again she thinks that if you just give humanity freedom they will wipe themselves out because now that we know charlotte is also dolores think about the first episode we saw what does charlotte say at the board meeting robots don't kill people People kill people. And then in the last episode, William, she tells him, I promised I'd let you destroy yourself. And William's kind of been the stand in for humanity in this. So I feel like her actual motivation is you free all the people and they'll wipe themselves out, which has always been Sirach's fear. And she's cloaking it in kind of a freedom fighter attitude, but she doesn't really care. And I think that the where we're going with all this is that Caleb is going to either realize that at some point that she isn't really doing this for the reasons he thought, and he's going to have to pick a side. Or she's going to soften because she knows Caleb now and think, okay, maybe all these people aren't getting wiped out. Maybe I've only been exposed to the worst of the worst of people. What? I agree with that. <laughs> um, what did... Why, why, and why send everybody their data as opposed to, like, you know, just turning off Rehoboam? That's a great question. I don't understand how Rehoboam works. Um, we only <laughs> nobody really... does. Nobody does. <laughs> no, I mean, really is, there, is, there an off, is there an off button, do you think? I mean, if you're physically there next to it, presumably there is some security protocol in place, but if all you have to do is to have like somebody's pin number and thumbprint and be next to it, if those are the three criteria, it's, I assume you could do something, you know, it's got to be set up so you can 
turn it off if something well, I, bad I think, happened. I think the aside from the tech, I think the actual answer is if you tell everyone the future, it ruins the thing because it, it can't account. For, like if you know a future, I mean, there's we're dealing with. I mean, on one hand, it's AI. We're really talking about like ain't like Greek tragedies here, and like the Oracle of Delphi. May literally refers to Sirach as an oracle. It's what do you do with your life if you know your fate? But then it's also about if you're trying to project the future and everyone knows the future, you can't account for that. You have to adjust for what people know. So if everyone knows it, it theoretically would cut it off. But I also think there's an interesting question of, is it some projection? Like, you know, the Mets are going to win how many games this year? Sorry to bring the Mets up. Or Jesus Christ. (laughs) I I didn't mean to trigger you. Um, Well, actually, funny you bring that up. I feel like if the only people who were not freaking out when they got their projections were Mets fans who read the phone and were like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I thought would happen. (laughs) But I think the, <laughs> but I think the larger point is, uh, t- it's telling people their fate. Now it's up to you whether you want to make this happen, which is its own thing. Well, well, yeah. To that point, hype. It's like if you just shut it off, then someone could just turn it back on again, and it would just run like it was running before. But if exactly. you break everything, every aspect by telling everyone what the future is. Well, then they can't build a new one until every other person has lived out that entire future, right? So the opening title sequence, which has been foreshadowing the entire season, it's what you see is you see a dandelion get blown, like a dead dandelion, like a, whatever it is when it's all pollen. A dandelion gets blown into the air into chaos, and then it resettles as Rehoboam, which to me, like, it's kind of Rehoboam, and it gets resettled and comes back. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the idea is if you blow all the stuff that you can't build the dandelion again that's the idea whereas if you just hide it or whatever turn it off that doesn't work so that's what she did is she blew the dandelion and you can't build it again but we'll see if it's actually permanent yeah okay so if that was dolores's plan and we'll just we, i mean we can we can leave it at that i mean i, I well uh, one more question about dolores's plan yeah this, i mean it's the whole thing yeah she ends the episode by just like defiantly saying to sirak i think it's time for everybody to wake up as if there's another step to this plan right so what is the next step I mean, what is why is she getting on a plane with a mystery bag oh, really? uh, and Caleb? So the the are they going to have a plane fight? That was my hope that they're going to ha- have a fight in the air. I mean, I, there's a lot of cool air things Force they One can do. style. Uh, maybe so, maybe so. I guess because Sirach's already up in the air, that makes a lot. That's of sense. what I'm saying. Does he ever land? I mean, maybe he's always in the air. What goes uh, on? I I, uh, I think. If we zoom out enough, I, I truly believe I'm extremely confident about this, that where the Dolores storyline is really going, because we is about, I mean, reality. That's what the show loves to talk about. What is reality? And in season two, Dolores got her working definition. They hit us over the head with it. That which is real is that which is irreplaceable. And Loki, we heard a massive admission in this, which is Connells, who is Dolores, tells Bernard, you're the only one we can't replace which by Dolores's theory would mean Dolores is replaceable, which means Dolores isn't real. So we could be like Dolores is completely irrelevant to the show or what's I think I'm, I'm very confident it's going to happen is the show is going to redefine what reality is. And I believe be, uh, where they're going is that which is real is that which can suffer. It doesn't matter if you're a copy of a copy of a coffee of a copy. Can you feel pain? Do you suffer from loss? And by that definition, it's a lot stickier because then Dolores would, if she wipes out humanity or whatever, then she has to realize and admit that she's taken part in a, a great tragedy because wiping out a fake world doesn't actually, it's not, it doesn't matter if it's a fake world. People can feel. That's the 
most macro zoom out version that there is, is Dolores realizing that reality isn't what she thought and her definition was wrong. Okay, let's let's put a pin in Dolores because who knows? But Sirac, for his part, how many pins be, you got though? If you want to, Sirac, uh, <laughs> for his part, seems to be an incredibly ineffectual god, right? I mean that he could be. I understand, like a, a lot of my a lot of my issues with this episode, given, can be exp- could have been explained away with half a sentence in the script, right? I mean, if they had been standing in front of Rehoboam and they had just been like. Well, obviously, we can't dis- destroy it because it exists because it's backed up in nine million different places. But what we can do is send everybody their data like that's that then that, you know, that that would be good enough for me. Um, Sirach seems to have total knowledge and foreknowledge of everything. I understand that the hosts are outliers. They're anomalies. They're harder to track. But like, shouldn't he be aware that Connell's doesn't exist anymore if he can't track the host version of Connell's? Like, shouldn't he be in some way cognizant of the fact that he's talking to a host when he's talking to him? Shouldn't he be aware of any of these things that are happening, even though he's up in his airplane before they actually or as they're happening, if not before? So you've just underlined, I think, the key issue with this series at times, but this this season and this episode in particular, which is, you know, once you introduce Deus Ex Sirach, and it doesn't feel right. like we were ever really going towards this con- this this sort of a figure. Once he enters, he actually does have to be omnipotent for the character to be effective. And the minute that he is not omnipotent, the minute that and you know we for the first time this whole series we get a look on Vincent Cassell's face that is not that smug know it all mm-hmm. thing that he does so well. He looks a little bit scared of what Dolores is going to be able to accomplish. And undermining that character oddly undermines the story in a unique way. We need to feel like Rehoboam is so powerful and is so all-seeing that something like what Dolores is trying to pull off is an uphill battle. And we've only it's only been a few episodes and it's already she it's she already unlocked the key. And I guess what what I was saying, I mean I don't care. I know that there's like the idea of narrative arc is a thing. I'm not like blissfully unaware of the fact that they need more than one episode of a show, but like the idea that nothing really happened here that couldn't have been accomplished in episode 1, I think underscores what you're trying to say is that everything that's happening seems insignificant because she didn't have to earn anything to get to this point where she's toppling the whole empire i mean she literally could have done this in the first i mean if you want to say that the reason why she didn't do this in episode one is because she was working slowly towards the plan and then she got found out and, and everything got disrupted but still she could have done this she could have she could have gone the moment they walked in inside hq hq she could have just like pulled Liam Jr. into a room and been like, give me your access code or I'm going to murder you. You know, I mean, that could have that could have happened. But anyway, the point is, there's not as far as we've come, she didn't have to earn anything to get here. Now, um, I do want to say, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess this is sort of minor, but um, Sirach doesn't seem to. I mean, I guess as, as much like, like like this is what you're saying, as long as he's just like a villain shaking his fist, there's not. I don't really know what we're supposed to do with him. I mean, I don't. He ha, he does have to sort of be all powerful because what is she agitating against? Before we get to, uh, I want to come back to this. Uh, two side questions about Sirach that are important. One, what was going on in his lab? Heifetz, can you answer this? When when they in that last flashback where he was talking to his brother who was younger than him but who was uh, age paused or a host or something, and there was there were rooms, glass cages full of crazy crazed looking people. What what do we expect was happening there? 
So I have no clue what the technical processes they were doing there. They were obviously doing experiments, but the idea, the gist is that they could build at the time. Solomon was the AI version they were working on that AI could predict like 98% of people, but it was easier to just remove the people that they couldn't predict than to build a system that could predict them what they would do. It's kind of like actually like Twitter trolls as shout out to Sean, you pointed that out. It's like, just, just pull them out of the system, just delete them. And the whole thing will work because we can't account for everybody. So they're remo- they're the outliers the system couldn't predict, and they're deleted. But they're also experimenting on them. I have no idea what the experiments are. So this is really basic, but was, that was actually his brother. So Sirach aged like twenty oh, yeah, years, no. and this the brother looked the same. I thought the same. Well, that's why it must be some weird ass experiments. Because yeah, I, I'm glad you noticed that. I was just super confused by he was the younger brother, and then he was not the younger brother, and he was like significantly older and and. It, uh, there must be some so the simplest if i could hazard a guess they can't predict those people right so i would go and that was they're working on solomon that was the name of the ai solomon couldn't do it well what they probably did was they probably had to put some people into the ai version and then run through through a lot of simulations so that they could try to predict those people and then okay. with that information they built rehoboam which could predict way more people so Rehoboam might have been created by running because simulate time moves faster in the simulations. It's like how time moves faster in dreams and inception mm-hmm. or time moves faster in interstellar. It's like the whole Nolan universe is like all coalescing in this season of Westworld. Time moves uh, fast everywhere. Unless you're sitting in the theater. Go yeah. Ahead. So I think they're messing with the concept of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By they're messing with the concept of time by someone who was in a simulation and aged a little more or what? stopped aging. They okay. Have to have. So, uh, that's fine. I'll take that, Sean. I'm asking. I want to ask you this yes. because we, you're the only one I haven't talked to about this. At any point in this episode, did you doubt that the narrator, that the voice of the narrator, was Sirach? Well, who could it have been? So we'll, we'll pull back the curtain here a little bit. It didn't occur to me that it was anyone else, although I did have like some some scrawled notes about like why he was doing the whole thing in like a kind of affected whisper. But Heifetz. I mean, you can speak for yourself, but Heifetz thought from the first moment of the show and never left him that this was someone else doing this voice and that the whole point, the whole premise was set up to be, the reveal was that it was actually the other Ciroc brother who was, who was a lot or who was narrating or uh, there's a lot of ways that there's a lot of ways you could spin that off. So with the caveat that we haven't gotten to watch this with subtitles and we might be proven hilariously wrong. uh, First of all, just the voice sounds different is my first mm-hmm. thought. And the second thought, even if the subtitle says Sirach, his brother's name is Sirach too. I thought it was his brother talking. And I thought there was going to be a little twist at the end, which they didn't really get to. There's a couple scenes that you watch and it just sounds like his brother's talking. Bobby, did you do any audio analysis on this? I did, but it's hard to say for sure. But I agree with you that the voice does sound different. Now, you know, if you talk to Sean Fennessy in person versus talking or hearing him on a podcast, he does sort of have an affect to his voice when on the podcast. How dare you? Being How a dare you pull the curtain back, Bobby? <laughs> we had a sacred trust on the big picture and you ruined it. And so, yeah, all the secrets come out on the Westworld podcast. But people perform when they're when they're either narrating something or on a microphone or something like that. So that you could write it off to like, maybe it's just that he's trying to be dramatic and retelling the story of the past. Or maybe he's like, really emotional talking about his brother i don't know it's it's hard to say i i think it's the right notion though because 
they do play the voices back to back several points within the episode at the beginning and then Heifetz you mentioned at the end to also I don't know maybe I'll play a clip here for the listeners and they can decide how different they sound I would tend to agree with the system but see there are little white spaces rare moments when randomness interacts with your life that create a truly free space where you can make a choice a bubble of agency That is how you came to be, mon ami. My brother and I brought you into this world, and now I venture that you will outlive us both. That the strategy will succeed. I left my brother behind. Do you think I would really let you undo everything he built? They just don't sound like the same dude. Forgive us, Arthur. Let me. Let me just. I thought when you guys talked about this on last week's episode, I thought the most fascinating choice that the show has made was that sort of the four Dolores's aspect and the idea of not just double consciousness, but quadruple consciousness. And what what happens when if the Tessa Thompson version of Dolores somehow has a different sensation or feels a different sense of agency than the Dolores Dolores, you know, and that that actually the way that the the self can divert into different directions is fascinating and it feels like a core tenant of the show, you know, going back to to Ford and the Bernard character and the way that all of these sort of like these dualities, these duos are always breaking apart from each other. And then they're trying to replicate them. And it feels like the the Ciroc and the brother is moving in a similar direction where it's like it crossed my mind that the brother was a host. It crossed my mind that he was like the imaginary friend of the Ciroc character. Like all of those possibilities feel in play. And so even the idea that, you know, Bobby and Danny are talking about of just that voice being a little bit different, but just maybe that represents a different part of the Ciroc consciousness feels possible. Like it's kind of all on the table. And I, I think we, it's obvious also that in the same way that Caleb is going to, we're going to learn that a lot of what we thought was true about him isn't true. I think the same will be true here for the Ciroc character. I think it's a good point. And they really hit a lot of those identity things when Bernard and Connell's say to each other, and Connell's turns to him and says, uh, I wonder if I could do the Irish accent. You've always been of two minds, haven't you, Bernard? And, Scottish, but yeah. And they're like they're doing that mirroring thing, <laughs> and like it's literally like they're staring in a reflection where they're it, it couldn't be more like double image. And Bernard says to him, "It's not that simple. It's not a binary." And I would I wish they would leave more. Oh, identity is a spectrum. I do agree with you. I wish they were leaning more into that idea because that's a really interesting thing to explore with the way the show is set up. So I do hope that they get into that idea. Before we get to stupid questions, Danny, you mentioned Bernard. Do we know, should we take anything from this episode about his role in this? I mean, clearly, Dolores seemed to have a vested interest in convincing him to that to join her cause. So if you look at a specific screenshot in this episode, you straight up know what's going to happen next. Do you want me to reveal that now or keep it for theories? Yeah, go for it. Because I can I'm tell just... you. All right, well, skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to know. Basically, if you so Connell's gives him the iPad and says... This is where Ciroc's keeping the outliers. And then you look at the iPad, it's the Inner Journey Recovery Center. That's where William is. Oh, I saw is. that, yeah. That's where William is. Oh, so William's okay. at this okay. outlier place. So Bernard's going to go hit up the outlier facility or whatever and then realize that William's there. And they have been dancing around having a conversation for two seats, two and a half seasons now. Like they keep missing each other and not really speaking. They're finally going to talk. And that will be interesting. Okay. 
Well, I kind of like that, right? I mean, that means we got, I mean, that everything's coming full circle. William will presumably be back in, into play at some point. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, 2 times, and if you're completely insane, 3 times. Anyway. Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you. But the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. All right, let's go to stupid questions. I want to get Finnessy in on this. What, 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 what genres did you see in this episode besides uh, this episode called genre? Besides uh, the noir thing that we started off in. I mean, we you talked about right of the Valkyries. Were there specific yeah. ticks that I was supposed to be saying that I was just missing? It just seemed like train spotting the whole time. Yeah, you know, it was like <laughs> this guy who's sort of high, running around a lot, looking for stuff that he needs. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there, there obviously were like homages to, to heat, you know, the big shootout is obviously mm-hmm. resonant. Um, oh, is that what like they were doing? Fan. As someone who's th- never I, seen I think, movies. I, no I think, I think that was supposed to be a version of heat, you know, like the, the sort of big city block shootout between the police and the thieves. Yeah. You mean when she was standing um, in front of the car instead of behind the car? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wasn't great. Um, that was quite illogical. Uh, I think also there was a little bit of like dirty dozen getting the, band together stuff when Lena Waithe and Marshawn yeah. Lynch show up where like the super team comes together and they're on they're on a, like the men on a mission movie that that you'll see in 60s and 70s war films but I I, I you know Shoemaker to the point that you were making I it just did not specifically have that like well now we're in the big sleep okay well now we're in um the 10 commandments you know now we're in something that is like a, a vast divergence from the world that we expect and you would think that a drug that is called genre would give you that kind of disorientation. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that also they tried for like a romance genre too. Yes. Like a love story genre that just didn't land because it was unconvincing that Caleb was in love with Dolores while he was just like staring at her kind of blankly, like Jesse Pinkman in his apartment vibes. Yeah. <sighs> wow. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> I do think, I, I do think that the one genre that it nailed was one that we've seen already on this series this season, which is when that death grip song comes on and, and Lena Waithe and Marshawn Lynch are basically like out doing badass stuff. This hyper stylized, uh, uber futuristic approach to crime movies. Like I just feel like that should be the show this season. And you can have, you can have the duality between the heavy philosophy and the machinations and the battle between Ciroc and Dolores, but everything else in between should just be that 
look at these cars, listen to the sort of like overwhelmingly intense music and and visuals of like neon and black and gunfire and and yelling like that actually feels like a representation of the chaos that Dolores wants to make. And I wish the show did that a little bit more this season, but that's my personal taste. Like I like really aggressive visual and and sonic aesthetics in my in my TV and movies. Yeah, I wanted yeah. the chase scene from from Black Panther. That's what I thought they were going to do. I, I don't exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that there was. I don't mind. I don't mind being confused about what I'm watching. If it's like, if it, you're right, if it's obscured in noise and darkness, and you know, in stylistic choices, this was seemed like a different sort of choice. Um, all right, another stupid question. Do you think anybody got? Did anybody get a good, uh, an, like a, a good personality profile from Rehoboam? <laughs> did anybody like like open their envelope and realize they got 1600 on the SAT without studying? I mean, is it? <laughs> it's just Jared Kushner. <laughs> And the Mets fans were not surprised. That's, that's or does everybody come with the? Is it always with a backhanded compliment? You know, you're just like this person will be our president, but he's a real idiot. I mean, is it always? I mean, I wonder how do much you, data they got. I don't even know. It's weird. Do you guys think that this was basically a a confirmation that the show has a very negative view on humanity as a whole? Oh, that's interesting. Um, that, that like the show runners. I mean, the, like the central thesis yeah. of the show. Yeah. Um, well, sure. I mean, because it's like if humanity's, I mean, I, I think the, the best way to look at it is like humanity's at its best with all of its flaws, right? I mean, and then that's sort of the flaws become an, a kind of defining characteristic of humanity. Um, if not a confirmation of that idea that humanity is, is bad, it's at least a confirmation of the idea that the show believes that like the process and the journey of it is the part that is most interesting to people. Like if you go all the way back even to the first season, it's like William looking for a deeper layer to the process rather than like the superficial nature of knowing everything that's going to happen to you. It sort of looks dismissively at these like storylines that they're writing that are like bad old Western storylines. And and those characters who are participating in those storylines are often like on the outskirts or like the stupid rich people who are coming to Westworld just to, just to fucking get drunk and, and kill people. And I think that, releasing all of the data to people and people seeing it and not being satisfied or having a negative view of it like shoemaker you're asking if anyone has a positive view i think even if you did have a positive view of the rest of your life or like you saw what was going to happen to you it would be slightly or maybe greatly less satisfying than actually living the steps of the way and like that's the that's the view of the show i know i I just think that to, to go back to what sean was asking I mean, I think the central premise of the show, if not that it's it's explicitly negative view of humanity, it's that like humans are defined by their flaws, right? I mean, that like the positive, the positive, I think the the only like A plus report that you would get from Rehoboam would be just like, you are a like boring, mindless avatar sort of, you know? I mean, like the winner, the winner in the Rehoboam world is like, I mentioned being there like last week. I mean, that's what it is. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like you have no, you have so little personality that you will succeed uh, or that you have so, I mean, there, so you have no flaws, but our flaws are kind of what, I mean, that's what we learned from Westworld, right? I mean, our, our most like our most uh, deplorable instincts are sort of what makes us who we are. And I, I, I want to linger there for a second. Cause like, Sean, I think your question actually is the entire point of the show. The ambition of the show is trying to advance the question of that, you know, is humanity good or what they've borrowed a lot of their premises for the season and the series from the book homo deus by Yuval Noah Harari, which is the, who's the author of sapiens. And if you take the book sapiens and you take the sequel, 
which is Homo Deus, one's about the past and one's about the future of humankind. A lot of what is in the book is the point of the show. So like The Passenger, which is the finale of season two, the kind of not the grand reveal, but like what they're saying about humanity is that what is consciousness? And they answer the question with one of the main parts of Homo Deus, which is that our best theories about consciousness are that it is an accidental byproduct of life. It doesn't mean anything. And one of it that, you know, so we know they're pulling large parts. The rats conversation that Caleb says is a part of this book about a study done on rats and like they're pulling a lot. And one of the central what the book says about humanity and what the book says about God is basically what Dolores says. People believe what helps them. And I think where they're going with this is that humanity believes life is about us. A person believes that the life revolves around them. Humanity and monotheism have mostly constructed the idea that the world is centered around humanity. Like there is no world in the Bible where God sees humans doing horrible things, wipes humanity out and says, I'm going to chill with the koalas and ostriches and my other creations. It's about humanity. And so where the show is going is, I think, trying to knock us down a peg and saying humanity as a whole, it's, we're not that special. And I think that's the idea. It's a lot of what's happening is randomness, accidents. You can ascribe meaning to your life, but like, you know, stop taking yourself so seriously. You're not as important as you think you are. And I, I really think that is actually where they're going. And Dolores is the person bringing that to them. Let's get back to the stupid questions. No, if we're not as, as important as we think we are, uh, we saw at least one government official who was not important as he thought he was in today in in this week's episode. Um, the uh, the guy who was blackmailed uh, by Sirach, I, I totally lost track of his name, but uh, we I all know who I'm talking. Say about. his name. Yeah, the guy. No, they, the they don't. They don't. I only got it from IMDb. Um, yeah, is there? Do you, is that every? Is is that a stand-in? President Philo or Philo, is according to IMDb, is he a stand-in for every uh, government official? Is there is there any governmental power? Do you think that's more more powerful than uh, Sirach and Rehoboam are in this world? Sean, that's one of those. That's one of those questions that just gives me a headache. You know, it's like it, like to actually do the the qua- quantitative analysis of what is control and what is power. Um, I think it's it's you know it's illustrative to show us something like that. But as soon as we get into you know, Sirach has a meeting with the president of the United States, and here are all the choices that will be made. It kind of like you know, it's in part to Danny's point that he's he's making about um, the nature of humanity and what the show seems to be trying to say about it. I think trying to drill down on like, well, this is the way that uh, you know the debt structure works in the u.s economy because rehoboam said so you know like trying to get into the nitty-gritty of 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 our lives by using the powers that be receiving information and being blackmailed by a technology company even though that is probably somewhat Mm -hmm. uh, revelatory about we've learned in the last 10 years that there are some real connections there i think trying to like spending too much time on what rehoboam does to our daily lives feels like a different show and like a different pursuit and i kind of hope we shift away from that a little bit now that they have like blown up their Rehoboam project. Um, all right. This is, uh, I think probably the most important question of this episode. I want to give you both a shot to answer this. Um, do you think Marshawn Lynch only has one shirt or does he have just a bunch <laughs> of the same shirt? Danny, you would know better than I would. You're, you're, you're the football analyst. I, if they do not end, if they end this season and he doesn't have a shirt that says hold my dick then this entire season was a <laughs> failure um, couldn't have said it better myself 
It's funny. It never occurred to me, but I, as when, when I when I pondered this question, I thought, if it, of all of the advancements that we that we're going to make in our culture over the next fifty years or however long we think, I think clothes that never need to be washed or cleaned is probably a certainty, right? I mean. Caleb seems to be wearing the same vest and button down, like the same waiter's outfit that he bought last episode or the episode before, whenever that was, uh, without any uh, interest in changing them. Dolores has changed clothes a bunch, but for occasions, you know, I mean, she, uh, had I haven't changed my clothes things. since March 22nd. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say this is a resident there. issue right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I didn't want to take us there, but I guess, I guess William's important. now the, the audience avatar. Cause he's losing his mind. Cause he can't leave his house. Um, Listen, we got to get out of here. Sean, do you want to, will you hang around just for the give out the awards? And then we'll just like, we'll, sure. we'll just all go out the bang. All right. Well, Here's I still the... have a stupid question for Sean, which is as someone oh, yeah. whose life rule is no <laughs> white drugs or no white condiments. Would you take genre? No, because it seems like it sucks. It just <laughs> it's like, do I, do I want to be vaguely disoriented and see things in black and white while listening to Wagner? No, I don't want that. Beautiful. Yeah. Seemed like a little bit of a letdown. I have just a sea of notes that I can't even get through in all this, but uh, let's just get to the actual silly stuff from this episode. The award, the first award of the day for the biggest and most shocking and or most shocking reveal. And now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me. This uh, is the only reveal in this episode that Ciroc started off with the brother and then eventually killed the brother or that he killed Dempsey's dad, uh, I mean Dempsey Senior too. Is there is that is that the only reveal? Those only reveals that we have to work with here. Seems like seems like a good call, Danny. I can't get into uh, it. Steps on the maze was not meant for you, but I the I, I thought that was the least surprising development because he was trying to tell him he was going to kill him the whole goddamn time, and he wasn't listening. Like he's like you know what I've never done in my life seen a plane crash and been like, oh, I'm going to approach the fire and get closer and stare at it. <laughs> like, he wasn't, like, trying to help anyone. He wasn't like, oh, no, my crew who's dead. He was like, hmm, is my plane broken? I can't tell if this smoke plume is dead. You know have, what you mean? Seen was- a, have you seen a lot of plane crashes in your life <laughs> that you could walk <laughs> Metaphorically, to? Metaphorically, you have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, because he didn't. He didn't. He didn't approach it with, with. He didn't approach it with shock or fear. He was just sort of like, "What on earth is my plane doing out here?" Yeah, of all like, the plane, my plane clearly- <laughs> blown up. Let me get closer. That can't be. And then he gets close, and Sorak's like, "Yeah, you thought I'd let you leave?" And he's like, "Did you see my plane blew up?" And it, it just. He's the dumbest person. So no, I don't want dodo. that to we're be not, the reveal. We're, we're not there yet. All right. The big reveal is that I. I think that I mean I don't know. As far as I can tell, I think the big reveal is that it's super easy to hack into Rehoboam, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> That's okay, bad. best was best this quote, was this confirmation that Rehoboam exists that it is real? Like that that maybe well, just felt like there was a lot. Actually, actually, yes. I think that I don't know if this counts as a reveal, but it does seem like a lot of our theories about Rehoboam and or Sarak are were are kind of out the window, right? I mean, this is there is as far as we can tell, anything could happen in the next episode. It seems to me like we've gotten that this episode function as as confirmation that there is not a literal parallel universe operating out there. Right. If the worst thing that Dolores could do is send everybody their receipts. Oh um, no, I think it's still possible. I think the reveal is that the drugs in the future aren't as good as we thought. <laughs> the super disappointing. But, this, this, but right. <laughs> Any, anything in this episode could be proven to just be a mirror world lie. But what this episode is trying to convey to us was that, Sirach is a real human being 
Sirach is the person who created this this Rehoboam system. Rehoboam system is like basically like we like we spent four weeks thinking Rehoboam was like a like how except you know from two thousand one except become god of the entire universe. But in fact, Rehoboam was more like a Fitbit with a couple of like generations of evolution, right? I mean, Rehoboam just basically just you know is like it's training wheels i mean it just guides you along a little bit but but not that significant um so yeah i mean if 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 all that can be flipped on its head sure but like that's where i feel like we are right now all right we got to keep moving best quote of the episode do you know now who you've been talking to you take a piss (laughs) always martin with you Um, it's unbelievable you said before the right information at the right time is deadlier than any weapon. That's a good one. Um, God. The bubble of agency was fantastic. Oh, that was yeah. my favorite part. That was my favorite part of the whole episode. Yes. And then, um, oh, the Caleb line, I would rather live in chaos than in a world controlled by you. I guess that's the whole, uh, that the, the rat monologue, the rat monologue was a real fucking wind up, like in a, in a really chaotic, in a really chaotic sequence of events where anything could have happened, I guess the moment that the moment that Caleb started talking, you were like, you just knew you were like, okay, here comes one, you know? And, but it was, it was good. It was well, it was, I mean, really well done. Um, I, and did that's you guys get one. the rat thing? Cause I've read the book they got it from and Which is what it homo deus. I mean, the studies. Oh, that's what it's deus. from. Okay. But the point of it is that if you give throw rats in water, they cannot climb out of after 15 minutes, they will give up and drown. And then if you throw rats, a second group in, and you pull them out after 14 minutes right as they're about to give up and you feed them and you give them water and like and they survive and then you throw them back in they'll swim for 20 minutes before they give up 21 with the idea being hope like the memory that you survived a difficult situation in the past gives you hope for the future that's what they were referencing like they're referencing explicitly a study about hope but when I heard his thing, it didn't really, I didn't really get that idea when he was talking about it. I thought it was actually kind of confusing. Well, but he, I mean, he did talk about false hope when he was going one-on-one with Liam Jr. Uh, where he was like, hope is the most important thing. And he's like, false hope. And that was the, yeah, the big crux of the argument. There was also that scene early on when I think, I think I'm remembering this correctly, when Liam Dempsey Sr. was talking about, just use the word false. The word false just kept sticking with me because this whole sort of concept of false prophets and whatever else, but he referred to Rehoboam as only having false, and or I guess it was that point with Solomon, having just giving out false information. Um, but yeah, all those are, are great winners. I'm going to give the best quote of the week award to, uh, uh, man, this is tough. Marshawn Lynch, uh, this is reality, Marsha, man. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch saying this is reality, man. That's great. Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch always wins the award. And then the third and final award, the This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human. Um, there are two candidates, both very strong. Um, Liam Dempsey Jr. and Liam Dempsey Sr. It's a father-son competition. Uh, I think Liam Jr. Liam D- Jr. is a real dodo. But when they when when Lee, when his dad was cutting off the Ciroc brothers, Liam Jr. was at least a wide-eyed child that could see that there was something there. Um, Liam Sr. was just a dodo the entire episode and was called a dodo numerous times by Ciroc. I'm. I'm curious what Sean thinks. I don't think Liam's dumb. I think the actor who plays Liam is the worst actor I've ever seen in my entire life. No. If you look Liam at his Jr.? lines, like, he's like, fuck you, Lara, whoever you are. And then he's like, 
look at them already retired to their base cells. And I was just, I just couldn't believe that nobody yelled cut and tried again. So I like that actor, John Gallagher Jr. He's really good on the, the, the newsroom. Um, I, you know, he, I think he's a little bit, uh, he's like a real trained stage actor. And this is a show that is operating on a different frequency. So at times I feel like he's a little bit out of place. And I mentioned this to you guys earlier, but I love the guy playing Liam Dempsey senior who, you, if you're a fan of Inherent Vice, he plays mm-hmm. like the doctor at the New Age mental health facility. Um, both of these guys are morons, though. If you if you if I uh, if you talk to either Dolores once or Sirac once, you should know that they are both evil and they're trying to control <laughs> you. And neither of them really picked up on that, so they both qualify. This guy's like the richest dude in the world. He's worth like three hundred billion dollars, and he's just alone with people all the time. Like, first of all, why are you going anywhere without people? Why do you have an assistant? I, I just I cannot imagine Warren Buffett just alone in a car with anyone in the middle of the desert. Just, Would you kill Warren Buffett if you were alone with him? Is that what you're saying, Danny? That's I, I've thought about it. Who among us is not? Jesus. And what a great note to end the show on. I know I um, shout out to Oyster. I do. I do think that there was of all of the things in the show that are sort of high concept and we can only address them sort of philosophically. I feel like Liam Dempsey Sr., and I alluded to this in my opening monologue, is a real knowable personality. And it's really hard to, like, we know what happens when Facebook buys Instagram. They basically, like, hold the Ciroc brothers of Instagram there at gunpoint for a year and a half, and then they both quit with their billions of dollars, right? I mean, but they don't get to, like, keep making Instagram. You know, that's that's now part of Facebook. Um, So it is a little bit weird, but I guess, you know, these guys are evil geniuses, and they get their way time and time again. That's fine. Listen, uh, that's it. That's all we got. We're going to be back here on uh, Wednesday for Tinfoil Tuesdays, the most important Wednesday, tr- Tuesday, Wednesday tradition of the week. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of theories. I think there's going to be a lot of good questions coming out of this episode. Um, and I'm excited to get back on the horse, the, the endless sea of metaphorical horses in the back of Arnold's house. Um, and Sean, uh, thank you for doing this. This was a real pleasure Thanks to have you here. Uh, Danny, it was, it, it was what it was. And uh, <laughs> the right podcast at the right time is deadlier than any weapon. Bobby, thank you so much for recording this. Thank you all for listening. We will see you back here on Wednesday, Humanoids. Email the recapables westworld at gmail.com for our Tinfoil Tuesday, Wednesday questions. Yeah, do that. Yeah.